Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy that you joined me today. Today, I have Jan Stewart with me, and Jan Stewart is a highly regarded mental health governance expert and advocate. Her brutally honest memoir, Hold On Tight, A Parent's Journey, Raising Children with Mental Illness, describes her emotional roller coaster story, parenting two children with multiple mental health disorders. Her mission is to inspire parents to persevere, as well as to better educate their families, friends, healthcare professionals, educators, and employers. Jan chairs the board of directors at Carrie's Place Autism Services, Canada's largest autism services provider, and was previously vice chair at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. She spent most of her career as a senior partner with the global executive search firm Egan Zender. Jan is a Diamond Life Master in Bridge and enjoys fitness, genealogy, and dance. Jan, thank you so much for being with me today. Well, I'm excited to be here, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. And just and just knowing what is included in your bio, I'm a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I'm tired all the time. <laughs> and I'm just so impressed with all that you have put yourself into the places that you've taken yourself in order to show up for your family in the best possible way. And I just think it's beautiful, all the things that you've done and you've been involved in. Thank you, Michelle. You know, I have a belief that you can either embrace life or be defeated by it. And I've chosen to embrace it. Mm, I'm going to put that on repeat for myself. (laughs) Jan, what does it mean to be a mental health and developmental services governance expert? That's a mouthful. Yeah. um, I have to tell you, Michelle, I really see this as my calling. And let me tell you why. I have two wonderful kids, as you've mentioned. Andrew, who has autism, Tourette syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, and learning disabilities, and his younger sister, Ainsley, who also has Tourette, ADHD, and learning disabilities, along with severe mood and anxiety disorders and executive function problems. Uh, Both kids are grown now, uh, but almost from the beginning, both my husband and I knew that something wasn't right. There were many signs that we later learned were markers of neurodevelopmental disorders, but of course we didn't know it at the time. So Andrew, for example, had no self-control when it came to feeding. Um, He would have just kept going without any problem. And equally, if we just controlled his intake, he had the same happiness. It didn't matter. He cried a lot. He was a happy child and baby, but he cried a lot. Lots of tantrums, much more than, quote, normal children. He -hmm. was very clingy. His speech was delayed and he was never still. But every time I would bring up these concerns or questions with the pediatrician, I'm originally from New York City, and he told me, Jan, you're being a triple type A mother from New York. Calm down. Your kids are fine. And Michelle, I don't know if you've heard this before. This is fairly common. Mm -hmm. And you don't know any better. You're a new parent. So Mm -hmm. you go with it. Uh, But I should have trusted my gut. And over the next several years with both kids, we saw increasing impulsivity, anxiety, ticks. Uh, Neither child could uh, write or hold a pencil correctly. Um, With Andrew, out of nowhere at the age of nine, 
he started bursting forward with no apparent reason, with two hours screaming rages every day. And when I tell you they were screaming rages, um, these are commonly associated with Tourette's syndrome. We didn't know that again at the time, but he would swear, rant, throw anything and everything in his way, actually punch holes in walls. It was terrifying. That is terrifying. And, yeah. And then this was quickly followed with his obsessive compulsive disorder, nonstop rituals. He would touch and tap and count and order things. He would gnaw on doors. He would put his head against bushes and car mirrors and it got more and more bizarre mm -hmm. uh, and then we saw with him more impulsivity more tics um couldn't understand abstract concepts couldn't maintain eye contact and he started self-stimulating behavior which i'm sure you know stimming it's called an autism where and to this day he rubs his shoulders a lot circles his head uh, repetitively because it calms him down Mm -hmm. In Ainsley's case, two years younger, and she was much easier as a young kid. And we thought, this is great. But once she started school, her behavior was totally out of control. She jumped on desks. She shouted out. She was rude, disruptive, constantly sent to the principal's office. The calls were exhausting. And with that came paralyzing anxiety, mm -hmm. um, couldn't read her friends' social cues and lost most of her friends' uh, tics, learning disabilities. And so it's been quite a journey since then to find the right psychiatrists, psychologists, the right schools, and as they've transitioned into adulthood, employers. But I'm so proud of them. They've found their niches in life, and it's their stories. That's the background to tell you that that's why. I propelled myself into mental health and developmental services, governance and advocacy. Mm -hmm. I started years ago with Andrew's psychiatrist at SickKids Hospital in downtown Toronto, where we co-founded the parent advisory group on OCD. And that was really important at the time because I didn't know any other parent going through this. And suddenly I had a community of folks to chat with. We understood and supported one another. And from there, I joined, as you mentioned, the board of the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, which is Canada's leading psychiatric hospital and a true global center of excellence. We did fantastic work in mental health and addictions over the next nine years. I became vice chair. And it wasn't just Canadian importance. It was international importance. Since then, I've joined six or seven other boards and advisory councils in both Canada and the U.S. And four years ago, I joined Carrie's Place that you mentioned, Carrie's Place Autism Services, mm -hmm. which is the largest autism services provider in this country. It serves over 8,000 individuals with autism and their families each year across the entire life spectrum, both community and residential supports, full suite, and over 1,200 staff. I became chair uh, in August, and I just love the organization. Mm, I love that you do that. I love that you're a part of it. And I. it's interesting because when you tell me the the various um, groups that you've been a part of and all the things that you're doing. I think it's so wonderful. I think as parents, we, we put ourselves in those situations so that we can learn so that we can teach others what we've learned so that we can create support groups so that we can get information out. But then I think about as a parent, we go home 
back to what we're experiencing at home. And sometimes it just makes us feel a little small because we're still learning. We're still wrestling. We're still trying to figure out how to best support the needs of our child. So as this has gone on and you've been a part of these fabulous groups, have you have you experienced an increase in like personal confidence in how you're raising your children? Uh, yes and no. It's a, it's an interesting question. So let mm-hmm. me back up for a minute and tell you that I didn't start any advocacy or governance until the medications and therapy had started really working with both kids. Now, okay. it's lifelong and there are always changes. and We can chat about that. But mm-hmm. I'm the first person to recognize that many parents don't have the energy, the emotional reserves. I certainly didn't for a number of years Mm -hmm. to engage in these types of activities. Mm -hmm. Now, the support groups and the advocacy is at one end and Mm -hmm. it's wonderful. And yes, that's what's formed a community for me and for many others that I know. We give each other help and support, and it does give you more confidence. I mean, we even joke about very funny situations to us that I'm sure other families wouldn't find so funny. One of my friend's uh, sons with severe ADHD, uh, they found him hanging from the third floor bedroom window outside when they came home. Now he was safe. It would terrify most parents. Yes. We understood. <laughs> yeah. Was he hanging by his hands or his feet? <laughs> by his feet. By his by feet. His feet. <laughs> uh, we have friends uh, with the kids like ours with ADHD and autism. And when the kids were young, we would have family dinners because very few family dinners would be able to eat with us. Sure. Our family dinners were literally 15, 20 minutes long. And then the kids would be zooming around. And we (laughs) thought it was funny, but many others would not. Now that's Mm -hmm. the advocacy support group side. And Mm -hmm. to this day, by the way, I find support groups so reaffirming. Mm -hmm. And a message I have about them is persevere until you find the right one. Initially, Mm -hmm. my husband, David, and I went to the downtown Toronto ADHD support group. Mm-hmm. And it was great to find parents who had kids like ours who were hyperactive, distracted, impulsive, you know, the list goes on. But no other parent had a child who was who were is experiencing those rages that I discussed. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, David was reading about Tourette syndrome. And he saw that rages were often tied to Tourette. I can't tell you how fast we ran, Michelle, to the nearest wow. Tourette Canada support group. And sure enough, very common. And we really found our home. And it's those parents that gave us hope and propelled me to persevere. Now, on the governance side, the governance is less about getting support from other parents. It's really about influencing the mental health agenda, the developmental services agenda Mm -hmm. on a broader basis Mm -hmm. and moving it forward. Uh, And that's why I do that. I I love that this is important to you and that you've gotten yourself involved. I think that's fantastic. I I want to ask you, you have a memoir coming out in March and it's titled Hold On Tight, mm-hmm. A Parent's Journey Raising Children with Mental Illness. What led you to write this memoir? Be happy to tell you, and I'll put in a plug first and just tell you, yes, the book comes out in early March, but you can already pre-order it. 
on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and in Canada, Indigo. So that's the plug. Anyway, through all that governance and advocacy work, and uh, I do a lot of speaking engagements in both Canada and the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. Years ago, a number of parents started calling and reaching out for help. Yes. These parents, and you and I both know this, are struggling Mm-hmm. They're frightened. They're frozen. Some of them they're they feel isolated. They don't know what to do or how to go about it. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking. And as I look back to the early days, particularly with the kids, I know how much I would have benefited from having had an understanding of what worked for other parents. You know, and Andrew was going through those rages that scared us and the and the bizarre rituals when Ainsley was so out of control or couldn't go to a friend's house because of anxiety or even as a teenager when she was in deep distress and started cutting her wrists and arms superficially but nevertheless cutting it would have been so helpful obviously they're professionals but to hear from parents and, and to feel that community and so that's why I wrote hold on tight Mm-hmm. I originally wrote a much shorter version just for myself as a catharsis. Mm-hmm. But as I thought about it, I said, I really want to pay it forward and give back. I started my research a good year plus ago, a year and a half ago, and I was surprised to learn that relatively little has been written about raising children with mental health and developmental services disorders from a parental perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I'm proud that I fill the void. On the one hand, I want readers to really understand the true reality, brutally honest, as you said, about raising children with these disorders. Mm -hmm. But I equally want them to celebrate successes. You know, Andrew has this wonderful full-time job at Rogers Communications, which is one of our country's leading telecommunications uh, companies. He takes the subway to and from by himself every day, and he's a charmer. Uh, I tell a great story a few months ago as COVID was lifting. He and I were taking the subway together in the morning down to his office and down to mine. And he got off at his stop first. And when I got off three stops later, a very well-dressed businessman approached me with a $50 bill in his hand. And he said, I was listening to the interaction between your son and you, and I'm so impressed. I'd like to give you this $50 and please go buy him something that he would enjoy. I said, thank you. I said, thank you very much. I can't accept your money. I should have said, please donate it and give him the name of an organization. I didn't think that. <laughs> it's typical of Andrew. Mm-hmm. And in Ainsley's case, she is the most valued child and youth counselor. She works with young autistic children. And I'm convinced that it's her own lived experiences and her deep intrinsic knowledge of her brother that have made her such a wonderful, valued resource. So I bring the good, bad and the ugly together Mm -hmm. in Hold On Tight. And perhaps the most important thing I do is gift parents with key insights to help them, you know, optimize their own lives and the lives of their children. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the way, these are universal insights, whether you're single or married, whether you're struggling financially or not. What it takes is grit, perseverance, determination, and that will to succeed. 
Well, I love that powerful message. Thank you for sharing that. And I also understand that when you write a book that's based on your own life experiences, there are risks involved. And I would love to know what risks you took while writing this book and in writing this book. Uh, Michelle, it's a great question. Um, I'm perhaps a little fortunate in the fact that I'm an open book. I always have been. That's how I was brought up and what I've always believed in. So for me, the risks have not been large. But I think the biggest risks had to do with my family's level of comfort. And I'll come back Mm -hmm. to that. So uh, my husband is a wonderful partner, but he's much more private than I am. And I was concerned that he would be unsettled about the idea of exposing our lives in detail and really potentially stigmatizing the children in in today's world, which would be terrible. Mm -hmm. And my son was very pleased and he lacks, as I said, abstract thinking, and he thinks he's just going to be famous. Uh, (laughs) No, he was concerned that people might think less of him when they read about certain incidents that Mm -hmm. he got himself into trouble with Mm -hmm. and that when he was in distress, There were some self-righteous tirades, things like that. Mm -hmm. And my daughter really grappled with the fact that she hasn't disclosed her disorders to her employer. She knows they will likely find out. Mm -hmm. And and the reason is because she has seen other people look at those with mental health and developmental disorders and look at them as less. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want and doesn't want people's opinions of her to change. She wants to be equal in their eyes and just as as we all do treated as she should be mm-hmm. but in the end they all were unanimous and firmly agreed that they wanted our story told in hopes that it will help other people and other families mm-hmm. i was very clear with them michelle that i would never publish one word that they didn't support that they didn't want anyone else to know about And I've made numerous changes after they've gone through the book in detail many times. And I've stood by that promise. Family comes first. Mm, I love that. One thing that what you've said has made me think of is I think about mental health and how, Mm -hmm. yes, there is a stigma involved with mental health. And I've never fully understood that stigma because I think none of us get to choose what we come into this world with. We we come into this world and the way that our brains process information, it comes with us. Mm-hmm. And the way that our bodies process information, the way that our bodies react, we are able to build on what we've been given. We're able to work with what we've been given, but we don't get to choose that. So the stigma part of mental health has always been something that I think people, come on people, if you really stepped back and thought about it, I, I think the stigma would lessen if if we realize we all come with our things and we're just... We just come and do the best that we can with what we have been given, with who we are, with how we show up in this world. And I mean, I'm sure your kids would say, I didn't choose Tourette's or autism. I didn't choose mental health disorders. It's it's how I came. But I have been forced to work with how I came. And and in some ways, that can make us stronger and it can make us more empathetic and it can create 
uh, a different version of us that we wouldn't be had we not come with these with these diagnoses. And and then in other ways, I think, you know, I I guess maybe the stigma comes from people who maybe don't understand themselves as well and maybe don't know how to work through those things. And so it looks challenging, more challenging from the outside. What do you think? How how can we fight stigma related to mental health and developmental disorders? Well, let's talk about what stigma comes from. To mm-hmm. me, it's clear. It's from a lack of education, mm-hmm. fear, misunderstanding, stigma. With mental health disorders, you know, people can, quote, look different. Mm-hmm. Uh, there can be bizarre behavior. Sure. Uh, there can be scary behavior. And the media, which I think has done a much, much better job in recent years, sure, has sensationalized mental health disorders in the past and often tied mental health disorders and developmental disorders to criminality. Mm -hmm. But if we talk about the general population at large, you know, when I tell people, are you afraid of someone who has epilepsy, diabetes, a heart problem? Mm -hmm. Everyone says no. And mental illness is the same. It's just in a different part of the body, the brain. There are just differences in how the brain functions in all these disorders. Mm-hmm. So how can we fight it? I think on an individual level, we have to try to be cognizant of the fact that we need to treat everyone fairly and equally with dignity and respect. That doesn't mean treating them the same, but it does mean providing equal access to opportunities, services, and resources. Mm-hmm. On a broader level, as a society, we need to increase connectivity As you and I know, social relationships really combat feelings of loneliness and isolation and help someone feel that they have worth and that they belong. That's a key word, belong. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to educate. And this is what this governance work that I do, one of the key reasons I do it. We need to spread facts about these disorders rather than let things go. We have to train more healthcare professionals in mental health, not only to deepen the pool, but to facilitate access, to shorten wait times, and make the systems easier to navigate. In both Canada and the U.S., they're very complex, mm-hmm. and they're hard to figure out. Yes, they are. Schools need better resources for earlier intervention that would really help. And the private sector, I think, has to take more responsibility, and many of them are today, to embrace truly inclusive workplaces. It's as if mental health and developmental disorders at the last frontier. But let's embrace them not only in hiring, but in retaining individuals with these disorders. And then we have governments. All our governments have policies, anti-discrimination, anti-bullying. We have to broaden those and really focus on those. Most importantly, perhaps, we have to increase access to health care and widen insurance coverage. I mean, I live in Canada, which is uh, much more of a socialized health care system. Yes. And yet still, you know, it, there is not full coverage for everything and things can be extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Also, when you look at the statistics, uh, individuals with these disorders are, you know, have a much higher poverty level than the general population. Sure. And uh, it's very sad 
to hear. We must increase economic supports along with a lot more investment in affordable housing and childcare. In affordable housing for those with developmental disabilities alone, the wait list is decades long. So there's lots we can do, but it also means there are lots of opportunities. Oh, I like your spin on that. <laughs> lots of opportunities. Yeah. I, I think what you shared is absolutely spot on. And I appreciate your thoughts. Jan, you have we have talked about so many important aspects of of mental health today and what it can look like to raise children um, with mental health disorders and then some. And I guess I just want to say that in listening to you talk, I have a hunch that listeners are going to say, I want to find Jan Stewart and I want to follow her. I want to be in contact. So how do they find you? Well, thank you for that, because uh, uh, this is my raison d'etre and why I'm here. It's really (laughs) spread the message. Of course, I want to sell the book, Mm -hmm. but it really is the message that's the most important thing. So first of all, I have a website. Uh, The website is at www.janstewartauthor.com. And on the website, your listeners can sign up for my newsletter which will be starting to come out shortly. And that newsletter will give a lot of tips and insights and a lot more detail than we discussed uh, today. On Instagram and Facebook, social media, I post every day about mental health at Jan Stewart Author. And I'd love you to follow me. That would be wonderful. And as I said, my book comes out in early March, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Indigo. And I would be thrilled. Well, thank you once again for your expertise, for your life experiences, and for taking those, combining those, and sharing them with us today. Thank you so much, Jan Stewart. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. For those of you that are listening, you can also follow me on Instagram at navigating.the.spectrum. Thanks for joining.